0: Well, if we could, this evening, for a short while, if we could turn back to that portion of scripture that we read, Isaiah chapter 64, Isaiah chapter 64, page
1: 754,
0: and if we take as our text the words of verse 8, Isaiah 64 at verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. I once heard the story of a man who went to visit a ceramic studio up in Caithness. And it was a place in which pottery was produced, I suppose you could say, on quite a large scale. But when this man walked through the entrance of uh, the building into the pottery studio, he encountered a sign in the reception area which read uh, Workshop Downstairs, Showroom Upstairs. And the the sign had relevant directional arrows pointing which way to go. And so the man visiting the ceramic studio, he thought, well, it's best to start downstairs in the workshop. And so he proceeded to descend down the stairs and he came to the entrance of the workshop. Now, the workshop was said to be set out in order of stages in which the clay had undertaken, was had to undertake. And the first stage was this, just this lump of clay which hadn't been handled yet. It was untouched and it was without form and without fashion. It was just a lump of clay. But the second stage, which the man came to look at, was the stage where the potter had a a lump of clay on his potter's wheel, in which it was spinning round and round, being slowly transformed from a lump of clay into something that was recognisable with smooth uh, uh, edges and uh, some sort of shape. Then the third stage was the drying area, where the pots were put out to dry slightly before they were put into the kiln. Because when the pots were put into the heat of the kiln, they were fired at over a thousand degrees Celsius. And then after the process of being in the kiln, the pots were cooled and they were ready to be painted. And once the pots were painted, they were put back into the kiln to be glazed. And having followed the process of the clay from the lump to the kiln, the man at the pottery studio he reached the last stage and by the kiln there was a sign which read showroom upstairs. And so the man proceeded to climb the stairs to the showroom. And when he opened the door to a large room, he saw all sorts of different items of pottery. All shapes and sizes. And they were all on display for everyone to see. And if the man so wished he could buy an item of pottery for himself. But what struck the man in the pottery studio wasn't just the beauty of of the finished article, but also the contrast between the lump of clay in the workshop and the painted and glazed pot in the showroom. And this contrast between the initial lump and the completed pot, it only proved how much work and effort the potter had to put in so that his lump of clay would look like a beautiful pot On display in the showroom. Now of course. The story of the man in the pottery studio. Is one which describes the Christian life. In which there is this process from. The lump in the workshop downstairs. To the pot on display. In the showroom upstairs. But what we are being reminded this evening by Isaiah. And by the catechism which we are looking at is that we are not the potter. God is the potter, and we are the clay. Now, O oh Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And without doubt, there are they are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible, because they give to us this... Vivid description of God, our Heavenly Father, moulding us and shaping us into something glorious. But what's important is that he is doing the work and not us. And that's what we were singing in our opening item of praise in Psalm 100. Where the psalmist said, know that the Lord, that he is God, and that indeed without our aid he did us make. Without our aid, he did us make. And that's what I want us to see as we look together this evening at the doctrine of sanctification. I want us to see that this is God's work in our lives. And I'd like us to follow the process of the lump in the workshop downstairs to the pot on display in the showroom upstairs. And I'd like us to do so under four headings. Destruction, declaration, development, And display. Destruction, declaration, development and display. So we look firstly at destruction. Destruction. And so we begin downstairs in the workshop. And the first stage of the clay is a lump. It's unformed, it's unshaped, it's untouched. And it's just a useless lump. But God is our potter. And as we know at the beginning of creation, God took that lump of clay and he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And those words in the original language of Hebrew, they're expressive of the actions of a potter, taking clay and spinning it on his potter's wheel. And that's what we're told God did with Adam. That the Lord God formed Adam from the dust, the clay, of the ground, And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. And this means that when Adam was created, he was formed and fashioned out of the dust of the ground. He was made in the image of man. But he was also made in the image of God. Which was an image of knowledge, righteousness and holiness. That was the image which Adam Possessed at creation the image of God, an image of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Because he didn't physically look like God, because God is a spirit. Therefore, God doesn't actually have a body or an appearance or an image. The term image of God, if I can use this word, it's an anthropomorphism, which means that God describes himself in human terms. Which make it easier for us to understand him. That's what we were singing in Psalm 8. When I look up into the heavens which thine own fingers framed. And to the moon and to the stars which were by thee ordained. That's what he's, he's saying. God is describing himself in human terms. Because the truth is God doesn't have hands. He doesn't have fingers. He doesn't have feet. He doesn't have eyes. He doesn't have ears. They're all anthropomorphisms. Because God is a spirit. Infinite, eternal and unchangeable. Therefore the image and likeness of God which Adam was created in. It wasn't a physical image but a spiritual image. An image of knowledge, righteousness and holiness. In which Adam was formed and fashioned at the beginning of creation in all perfection. But being left to the freedom of his own will. Adam fell into a state of sin and misery. And when Adam fell, that perfect image of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, it was marred beyond recognition. The image and likeness of God was lost. The perfect pot which God had formed and fashioned on his potter's wheel and made into the beauty of holiness, it was shattered and destroyed. And because of the greatness of the fall, the damage was, you could say, irreparable. Just like when you smash a glass. The shards of glass go everywhere and it's impossible to to glue it back together. So too was the mess of Adam's fall, where he was left as a broken, unformed and unshaped lump of clay. And you know, that's the illustration which Isaiah is giving to us here in, in Isaiah chapter 64. Because at this point in his prophecy, Isaiah is praying to God that God would intervene in the sinfulness of mankind and change their ways. He's saying, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. And Isaiah, he's confessing to God the extent of Adam's fall. He's confessing the brokenness. And then he says in verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And what Isaiah is saying is that because of our fallen and sinful condition our cry is the very cry of the leper who was put outside the camp where if the leper was to be seen in the vicinity of, of anyone he would have to cry unclean, unclean, unclean. And Isaiah says we are all As an unclean thing. We are outcasts from God. Our sin has exiled us from his presence. We are broken. And our image is destroyed. And we are unable to save ourselves. We are unclean. But Isaiah goes even further when he says that our righteousness. The righteousness which we possessed at our first beginning with Adam. Where we were created in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. Our righteousness, he says, filthy rags. We are like a polluted garment which has been tarnished and tainted and contaminated by our fallen nature. And as a result our spiritual corruption, he, Isaiah is confessing, he's saying that we're like a faded leaf. We're like the autumn leaf that has died and fallen off its branch. And because of our iniquity, because of all the crookedness in our own heart, we have been Blown away with the wind. We are like the wicked in Psalm 1. Where we are likened to useless chaff which the wind drives to and fro. And because of our fallen condition, Isaiah is envisaging that no other end for sinful, there is no other end for sinful mankind than to be cast from the presence of God and burned. Because he says in verse 7, there is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. Isaiah is expressing the desperate nature of our condition. They're like a pot, which was once formed and fashioned so beautifully, it's been broken and destroyed by sin. And he says, we have been made to melt into a lump of clay at the hands of our own iniquity. We've become an unfashioned, unformed, unshaped, useless lump. And yet that's not where Isaiah ends his prayer. He has confessed that our sinful condition is one of uncleanness and brokenness and destruction. But. But. He says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And with this declaration from Isaiah, he knows that the potter is going to get to work on the clay. And that's what I want us to see secondly. I want us to see God's declaration of this lump of clay. And so we've considered destruction and our sinful condition. But secondly, declaration. Declaration. And so the outcome of Adam's fall, it's left us broken. Unformed, unshaped, this lump of clay. In which we're unclean, unrighteous and full of iniquity. And completely incapable of improving our status or saving ourselves. And yet Isaiah is saying, but now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, you are our potter, we are the work of your hand. And you know, I can't help but see that this is what Paul is echoing in Ephesians 2 in the New Testament. Where Paul has been speaking about the brokenness and the depravity of our condition. And he says, we were dead in trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, but God. Says Paul. But God who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins. He has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. But then Paul says. And I think this is what's so beautiful. He says. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And of course Paul is using the imagery of the potter and the clay. And he is downstairs in the workshop and Paul is describing to us that sinful lump of clay which is lost and incapable of any self-reformation. And yet God in his grace and his mercy, he reaches down and he picks up that lump of clay off the shop floor and he places it onto the potter's wheel but what we must see is that before any work begins on reforming and reshaping the clay in that action of picking up the clay and putting it onto the potter's wheel in that action the sinner is declared holy And this is the initial stage of the potter's work, in which the sinner is set apart and declared holy. And this is what we call definitive sanctification. Now, not to confuse you or make things difficult, definitive sanctification is an act of God in which the sinner is taken and declared holy. Taken from sin and declared holy that's what the word sanctify means. It means to be made holy. It's to be set apart. And so it's a one-time act of setting the sinner apart and declaring the sinner holy. But in this contrast, it's a contrast to what we'll look at in a, in a wee minute of progressive sanctification. But definitive sanctification, it's an important part of the sinner's experience. It's an important feature of this lump of clay because although the lump of clay is still a lump, the status of the clay has completely changed. It's no longer declared a sinner. It's now a saint. And a saint being someone who is declared holy. And that's what every Christian is. They are a saint. It's not someone who's died a hundred, hundreds of years ago and they've been venerated to the position of sainthood. Every Christian says the Bible is a saint. Because when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, the church in Corinth, they had many problems and they needed a lot of sanctification. And yet, from the outset of his letter, Paul referred to the Corinthians as saints. Those who had been declared holy. And he says, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints with all who in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this change in the life of of a believer from being a sinner to a saint, it's a change because of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we've been looking at in the past few weeks of when we're studying the Catechism. At the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection, it's applied to us by the Holy Spirit. In which the Holy Spirit, he works faith in us by revealing Jesus to us. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in revealing Jesus to us. He illuminates Jesus. He exalts Jesus Christ to us as is presented to us in the Gospel. And as we've said on previous occasions, we said that the Holy Spirit does this by making us alive again, by regeneration. And he's, he does it by our union with Christ in which we're inseparably united to Christ. By our effectual calling where we hear the gospel, we hear the call to come to Christ pressing upon our heart. And because we respond to the call, we receive all the benefits and our status as a sinner changes. We are declared righteous in God's sight because of our justification. We are declared a son or a daughter of our Heavenly Father because of our adoption. And this change of status which the sinner experiences, it's a remarkable change. And it's all of grace from beginning to end. From being a useless lump of clay on the workshop floor, that is outcast and distant from God, a useless lump which was once glorious and beautifully formed and fashioned at creation, and yet it's broken and destroyed by sin, and we became as an unclean thing. Where our righteousness, says Isaiah, as filthy rags; our iniquity melted us into a lump of clay. But God, who is rich in mercy. He changed us. He transformed us. He gives to us a new beginning. He gives to us a new heart. He gives to us new desires. Where he took us from all our brokenness of sin. And he made us all over again. Because in Christ we became a new creation. The old passed away. All became new. Our uncleanness was made holy. Holy. A righteousness which was filthy and disgusting. It was replaced with the righteousness of Christ. Where he became sin for us. Who knew no sin. In order that we would become the righteousness of God in him. But more than that. More than that. From all our estrangement and rawness and slavery to sin. We became saints and sons and daughters. Of the king, we became a precious piece of clay in the hands of our potter. And this change it's expressed by Isaiah here when God describes us, when he describes God as our Father. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. we are all the work of your hand. Now as a holy lump of clay sitting on the potter's wheel God is not finished with us. We're not the finished article. No, no, he, he's going to work in us and through us for his own good pleasure and glory. Which brings us to the third stage of God's work. We've looked at destruction. Now broken and sinful condition as the unlovely lump of clay. We've considered declaration. We've declared holy, taken from the workshop floor and placed upon the potter's wheel. But now we see the potter, potter's development of that piece of clay into something beautiful. So thirdly, development. Development. In the prophecy of Jeremiah, in chapter 18, we're given a vivid picture Of the work of our potter. Because we read that the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I, Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at his wheel. And Jeremiah says, The vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And what the Lord said to Jeremiah is what the Lord is saying to us tonight. Can I not do with you as with this, as this potter? And of course, this is what Isaiah is reminding us too, that we are the clay. We don't have the potential or the ability to reshape ourselves into something beautiful or even useful, which is, which is why Isaiah is confessing, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Therefore, God is not only our potter in creation, When Isaiah says that he is the work of his hand, he's emphasising that God is our potter in salvation. And that's what the catechism is teaching. It's teaching progressive sanctification. Because the catechism differentiates between justification and adoption with sanctification. By saying that both justification and adoption are acts of God's free grace. But sanctification, it's a work of God's free grace. It's a work which has an alpha point and an omega point. It begins with God and it ends with God. Therefore, sanctification, it's a process to make a person holy. Now, this doesn't contradict what we said about definitive sanctification, where we're declared holy. Because... Through all the things that happen to us, through our regeneration, our union with Christ, our effectual calling, our justification, our adoption, we are declared holy. A holy, righteous child of God. But even though we are holy in God's sight, through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, even though we're holy in terms of our status before God, where we are declared as holy as God. Yet at the same time, we are far from holy in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. And God's gracious work of sanctification, it progressively seeks to close that gap between the holiness of God and our sinful nature. And if the gap between God's holy standard and our sinful nature, if that is closing, if that is closing, then the gap between our desire for sin And our grip of sin. And our closeness to the world. That's widening. Widening all the time. Because that's what holiness does. That's what it means to be holy and to be sanctified. It's to be set apart more and more. Further and further from the world and from sin. And to draw nearer and nearer to God. Following closer and closer to the teaching of his word. It's to die to sin. To live to righteousness. And you know, you might look at yourself and see your sinful heart and your sinful desires and your weaknesses. And you may wonder if there is any change taking place at all. Because all you seem to be saying is what Paul said. The good that I would like to do, I don't do it. And the evil that I don't want to do, that's the very thing I keep on doing. And we're all like Paul but we have to remember that this is a lifelong process it's a great work but it's a slow work you know i remember when i was a student for the ministry and i was being interviewed by the presbytery and after the interview with the presbytery one of the elders that were present there he, he asked me murdo are you still growing And of course the elder wasn't talking about my height or my waist. But he was speaking in the spiritual sense. And I had to think about it. Because like most people, I can't see much growth in myself. If anything, I feel I'm getting worse. Because I don't feel any more gracious. And I don't feel I look any more like Christ than when I first started following him. But what I must Do and what we must never do is go on feelings or go on what we think about ourselves. Because as Martin Luther said, feelings come and feelings go, feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Therefore, we must go on what God is saying about us and what God promises about us because the work of sanctification is not my work. Yes, I have the responsibility. To put off sin and to put on Christ. To put to death the deeds of the flesh and to be found reading the Bible and praying and confessing sin. And to be in the fellowship of God's people. Whether that's in church or in the prayer meeting or in Bible studies. We have a responsibility. But the overarching work, it's all of God. And it's all of grace. And is that not what Paul reminded uh, the Philippians? when he wrote his letter to to them paul loved the philippians and he enjoyed their fellowship in the gospel but what made paul rejoice was that he knew that the god who had begun that good work in them promised that he would bring it on to completion and later in his letter paul is speaking to the philippians and he's speaking to them about his own experience of becoming a christian And he explains to them that when God entered into his heart, everything changed. He says, those things that were once gained to me, those things of the world and sin and self-righteousness, they were once gained. They were the things I held on to and cherished. But whatever gain I had, says Paul, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count all things loss because of the surpassing worth. Of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. And Paul goes on to say. Not that I'm already perfect. But I press on towards the mark. Of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore my friend. If you want to know whether or not God is working in your life. Then there will be this desire to be more and more like Christ. There will be a desire. Satisfaction, a dissatisfaction with self and with sin, where you will see your sin more and more, and you'll see your need of Jesus more and more. And there will be this striving to be more holy and to be more Christ like. There will be this desire to emulate his character and imitate his actions and follow his teaching. There will be this desire to count all these things as loss that you may. Win Christ more and more and more. And that's what it was like for David in Psalm 51, which we were singing earlier. Because, as you know, David wasn't perfect. But God was working in his life. David made mistakes. He made big mistakes. He committed adultery. He lied. He was even an accomplice to murder. <clears throat> And in the eyes of the world, he should have been cast out of God's sight. But that's the very thing David pleads with God not to do. Because he comes before God and he confesses his sin and his weakness and his complete inability to save himself. And he says, all mine iniquities blot out. Thy face hide from my sin. Create a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit me within. And in these words, David is not asking to be saved. He's not asking to become a Christian. No, as a Christian, he is pleading for God to cleanse him. He's pleading for God's work of sanctification to continually take effect in his life. He's pleading for renewal. He's pleading that the original sin, that broken condition of the fall which is still present with him, He's pleading that God would renew in him a right spirit after the image of God, that image which Adam had before the fall. David was pleading for God to forgive him and renew within him that image of knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. My friend, that should be our daily prayer. Create a clean heart. Lord, renew a right spirit. Me within. Or as the hymn writer put it. Have thine own way Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mould me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting. Yielded and still. That should be our prayer. As our potter works in our life. But as many of you have come to know already, our potter not only shapes us and moulds us through his word, he also shapes us and moulds us through providence in our lives, the things that happen in our life. Because our master craftsman knows our every need and he knows our every experience. But when we are in his hands like the clay on the potter's wheel. There are no better hands to be in than the hands of our great potter because he's holding us at all times. And he's shaping us through every providence and every circumstance in our lives where he is continually working in our lives by shaping and trimming and, and cutting things away that are, that are of no use as far as his design is concerned. And you know, sometimes, my friend, there are as clay in the hands of the potter. There are times we have to go through the kiln of affliction, when we experience the heat of trial and temptation, where there is the pain of sadness and loss, when there is the difficulty of of loss and, and loneliness. And yet the comfort in it all is that our potter will not let us go. He promises to us on the pages of Scripture. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. That's his promise. I will be with you. Through all the tears and all the worries and all the doubts and all the, the failures and all the pitfalls and all the difficulties. I will be with you. Our potter will be holding us in his hands. Because all the time he has his design In his mind's eye. And what he's creating in us is something that's going to be magnificent and so beautiful that only he can make it. Because our potter, he's in the business of doing something that will emerge from his hand. Because at the end of his creative process, he will produce something, something in us remarkable. Something which we could have never done ourselves. Because he says we will appear. And we will be like him. Oh my friend, what a project he has undertaken. That he would use useless lumps of clay to be vessels of display for his own glory. Which brings us to the last stage of this wonderful process. We've been in the workshop downstairs. And we've seen destruction or broken condition. And as an unlovely lump of clay. We've considered the declaration. The fact that we're picked up off the workshop floor. And placed upon the potter's wheel. We're declared holy. And on the potter's wheel we saw the development. That that piece of clay had into something beautiful. But after the process in the workshop. Downstairs. After it's complete. The finished article is to be put on display. Upstairs in the showroom. And so destruction, declaration, development, display. Display. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. The outcome of the potter's patient and delicate work is always what he had in mind. I've never tried it, but I've watched programs about it. And I know that working with clay and producing pottery is a difficult skill and an intricate art form, you could say. And throughout a working day, a potter will often make many mistakes and he'll have to start all over again from scratch. But not so without potter. Because he knows what he's making. And he knows what the end product will look like. Because it's to emerge from the workshop downstairs resembling Jesus Christ. And that's the promise. That when we see him, when we see Jesus, we will be like him and see him as he is. Now what that means exactly, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that it will be nothing like we've ever experienced before. But I do think that what Paul gives to us is an insight as to what we may look like in the showroom of heaven. Because he says in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who created this world, he says, And the God who created us from the clay of the ground, he has revealed the glory of God to us in the face of Jesus. But then Paul went on to say, we have this treasure in jars of clay to display the surpassing power which belongs to God and not us. Which means that the showroom of heaven will not only be completed works of grace, they will be trophies of grace, which will reflect the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. My friend, those who die in Christ, having undergone the workshop downstairs, will be put on the showroom upstairs, as vessels made for his glory, as vessels filled with his glory and vessels overflowing with his glory. My friend, is it any wonder that the psalmist in Psalm 17, he concluded with those beautiful words of hope, but as for me, I thine thine own face in righteousness will see. And in thy likeness, when I wake, I satisfied shall be. It's a wonderful thought to be made as a vessel for the glory of God. May we all make sure that we are in the hands of our great potter and that he is working in us And he is working through us. That in everything we go through in life, we are trusting in him. That he will make in us and for us a vessel for his own glory. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to thee that that thou art our Father, and we are the clay, and thou art potter, and that we are the work of thine own hand, And, O Lord, we do plead that in everything in our lives that Thou wouldst continue to work, to draw us to Thyself, to draw us, O Lord, with cords that cannot be broken, that we, O Lord, would see the great work going on, that Thou art going to complete that work in the day of Christ Jesus. Bless us, Lord, we pray. Bless us in the week that lies ahead, oh, a week that is unknown to us, a week that... We do not know what lies ahead, but oh, we bless thee that we are in the hands of our potter who knows what is best for us and who knows and who is working all things together for good. Do us good then we pray. Cleanse us we ask and go before us for Jesus' sake. Amen. (coughs) We shall conclude in Psalm 17. Psalm 17, in the Scottish Psalter, page 217. Psalm 17, we're singing verses 5 to 9, and then the last verse, verse 15. Psalm 17. Hold up my goings, Lord may guide, in those thy paths divine, so that my footsteps may not slide out of those ways of thine. Down to the verse Mark 9 and then verse 15. But as for me, I thine own face in righteousness will see. And with thy likeness when I wake I satisfied shall be. These verses to God's praise.